Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm just a tube sock on a pole. And I am the third man. Welcome to episode 208, (laughs) Bash at the Beach 1996. There is no day at the beach. Catch the big one. Sorry, I had a hard time even (laughs) comprehending the words. This is no day at the beach catch the big one. Oh, I think I said there is no day at the beach. It's fine. Oops. There, this, whatever. Basically the same meaning. Close enough. This and there and that and the other. But like, I'm trying to remember, is the big belt even on the show? What's the big one? The one that the giant's wearing. Oh yeah. God, he's so forgettable. <laughs> Sorry. Remember, he even says during the show that... To catch the big one? Well, as long as, as, long as he's wearing the belt, everything's okay. Oh, sure. Something like that. Technically, it, the belt's here, but it's not, not yeah. being defended. Yeah, yeah. See, it's not even obtainable. Yeah. He, uh, he's he gone tag-teaming on this show. Lots of tag-teaming <clears throat> on this show. A little bit. And we call that the Hogan special. <laughs> Just, you know, tag-team right. so you're on the show, but have to do even less. I didn't say anything. <laughs> I said that's a, that was a, a trick up his old, up True. his sleeve for, uh, you know, the last decade. True. So this was the third Bash at the Beach produced by WCW. It would take place on July 7th, 1996 from the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida with an attendance of 8,300 people. Hey, they're doing just a little under King of the Ring, I believe. Yep. Just a little bit. July 7th, 1996. A day that will live in infamy. It will. It will. Absolutely. Because Shane was the third man. <laughs> yes. Or at least he was one of the contenders for it. Yes. He was discussed. Mm-hmm. But we are in Daytona Beach, Florida. So Shane, did you do what you do? I did what I do. We are in Daytona. I know one of the last times we were down in this area was when I came up with that awesome fried fish Reuben deliciousness. That was so good. That was. That's still like... I think that's one of the the only pictures that I've saved of everything that I've taken over the last couple of years that I just have to show everybody of. If you ever want to try something different, try this. Yeah, that was good. But, yes, I did what I do where I searched around to try and find out what's popular in the area, food-wise, beverage-wise, dessert-wise. And I had to do what I often have to do and change things last moment because... We are not in Daytona Beach. We are in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And everything that I want that is available in Daytona is not always available when we are recording here in Oklahoma. So the first thing that I found, there's a popular place in Daytona Beach called uh, Starlight Inn. It's more of like a breakfasty type place. But we had a, a similar named place here in Oklahoma City called... Ned Starlight Lounge, which I was all gung-ho on ordering from because they've got some interesting seafood stuff on there, and seafood is all the craze in Daytona Beach. 
Unfortunately, Ned's is only open for brunch on Sundays, which happens to be the day that we are recording the show. So, last minute, I had to cast another line and reel in a different fish. So you caught the big one. I did. The big one. Big and smoky. We went to Sidecar here in Oklahoma City. And it's a... uh, trying to think of the full name of it sidecar barley and wine bar got a couple other appetizers because i thought we're at the beach we're having a bash we need a, a couple of good spreads some snacks and i got the smoked salmon which is on their appetizer menu it's a nice portion of smoked salmon comes with some uh, stone ground mustard some jalapeno relish and a variety of olives there's some kalamata some green some black some deliciousness all mixed in there comes with some pita i also got their butcher block because it sounded like good beachy food some meats and cheeses and breads their butcher block came with some pita some salami prosciutto yeah prosciutto that's the word i'm looking for there's also some sliced sausages on there another olive blend there was some it's like smoky cheddar some i'm not sure what this kind was here if it was gouda or Oh. There's some orange cheese, some white cheese, and then some, I'm guessing, goat cheese or something like that with some uh, fig preserves, some roasted tomatoes, uh, roasted artichoke hearts. All around a good spread. Uh, I, I told them I, I just feel like I'm missing a glass of wine. But yep. Picnic at the beach. Yeah. So if you're ever in Oklahoma City or in Oklahoma in general, I know they have expanded outside of the city. So sidecar barley and wine bar. Hit them up. They've got good beverages, good wines, good snacks, some good desserts. I mean, I've never heard of that place. Now you know. Now I know. Now I've eaten it. This meal would actually be go real well with the three masterpieces <laughs> that would be released the same weekend as Bash the Beach. Hmm. I'm Independence intrigued. Day. Okay. Phenomenon. Yeah. And Theodore Rex. Hmm. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Is, is Phenomenon good? That was like... It's right after Michael, right? Yeah. Was it? I'm trying to remember. It's either right before or right after. I'm trying to remember that one. I remember Michael because I've seen it more, but I I know I saw Phenomenon too. And I think Phenomenon has that Eric Clapton song that stinks. Change the world? Yeah. It's the Grammy Award winning song of the year. I know, I hate... I just (laughs) don't... I dislike Eric Clapton. You just have to be in the, the right or wrong mindset and that song will change your world or it will break your world because there's been many a times where my world was crumbling and I listened to that and it just turned me around it made me smile and there's other times where my world was absolutely crumbling and I listened to it and it just made me want to grab a you know a can of lighter fluid and a match and <laughs> burn it all down burn it all down because everything sucks and you know it makes you cry I just yeah my dad fucking loves Eric Clapton so ah. I've just had it hurt so much it's like come on dude He's not even that great of a guitar player. It was before Michael. Okay. Same year. Same year. This is what John Travolta wasted his newfound fame from on Pulp Fiction. It's like, guy picked the worst projects. And Michael's a bad movie, but I like it because it's weird. What if an angel fucked? What if an angel smelled like cookies? I definitely liked (laughs) Phenomenon more than Michael. I don't remember Phenomenon. What if somebody actually sat around and wrote a song about pies? (laughs) But me, I, oh, me oh my. But I definitely didn't love Phenomenon. Uh, yeah. See, I didn't love Phenomenon. I liked it. 
Uh, Michael is one of those guilty pleasure movies. It's that bad, I, but I it's... don't hesitate to say that I love Michael because uh, it makes no sense, but it's entertaining. Yeah, Andy. I mean, I know we're we're not talking about Michael, but we're talking about Michael. Andy McDowell and her her stupid. I want to be a country singer. Oh yeah. Or I want to write country music. Sitting by the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. They're stupid songs, but they get stuck in your head. Do you know Michael was a Nora Ephron movie? I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the um, the thing about like we're all in agreement. Michael's not a good movie, right? No. No. Okay. I love Michael. I. It's it's fine that you like it, but, but you know that I I know highly recommend it to a lot of people because <laughs> it's great. That's how I judge a lot of people. Your opinion of Michael? I like me too, but the. Um, <laughs> Annie McDowell, such a babe, such a bad actress. Yes. But I, but I love it when she shows up in a movie, even though she's just not very good. Yeah. I mean, Groundhog Day, Michael, and... Sex, Lies, and Videotape? Uh, I was going to say Multiplicity. Oh. Those are like three of the best, worst Annie McDowell performances <laughs> on camera. But yeah, Phenomenon, I, I think the song was better than the movie, but the movie was still all right. And that movie doesn't he, isn't he like, have ESP or something? Yeah, he gets... Struck by lightning yeah, and, and he gets super intelligence and like so it's like powder without the gay matching pretty much <laughs> yeah what if power what if powder was an adult that lived in a trailer or something like that okay and you know it was what if powder was less creepy yeah that's a movie that I think about a lot and I would love to rewatch as an adult fucking powder powder was great Independence Day this was the one that it was yeah Will Smith is a star oh yeah. yeah. And he's also... I kind of brushed off his acting for several years because, oh, it's the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, it's Bad Boys. Okay, he's got a good one right there. All right. I don't remember if Men in Black came before this, but... No. Yeah. Independence Day, it was like, oh, yeah, he's a, a bona fide fucking celebrity now. He's he's not just a, a rapper. He's not just a singer. He's not just a, a accidental casting in Six Degrees of Separation. He's, he's a, a full-fledged fucking star now. Yeah, Independence Day is... Is it the best or the only good Roland Emmerich movie? I'm not going to say it's the only one, because <laughs> Roland, Roland Emmerich movies are guilty pleasure movies. Oh, yeah. Made the movie? They are all the same, yeah. Okay. I mean, 2012, Day After Tomorrow, okay. Godzilla. Oh, Day After Tomorrow, I couldn't watch. I mean, like I said, <laughs> he, he is the disaster movie guy now, because he like just did Moonfall. That's all he does. And they're yeah, all the things where it's like it's a big cast of people and you check in on them as the world falls apart. 10,000 BC. Hated it. White House Down. I mean, yeah, I think I've only seen Independence Day and Godzilla. Well, like, yeah. Independence Day, I think, would be at the top of the list then. It's definitely his best movie. It, it was the... I mean, he did Stargate and Universal Soldier before, right before oh. Independence Day. Oh, well, I mean, Stargate's uh, tight. And Universal I've never seen Soldier's one of those guilty pleasure movies, too. That's Kurt Russell, right? I mean, literally no, all of his... Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and oh. Dolph Lundgren. Uh, I've heard the Universal Soldier... I think it's Universal Soldier. I think supposedly it has some sequels that are like legitimately actually good... That people know. That people have to have some cult some cult love. I'll put See, it that way. Just but the... I could be wrong. The quality level of Universal Soldier made me not want to watch any of the sequels because I figured this is as good as it's going to get, so why bother? Yeah. Yeah. Van Damme and, and Lundgren together, great movie. But we'd all agree that Men in Black is better than Independence Day, right? Men in Black's a masterpiece. Yeah, but Independence Day has Jeff Goldblum. 
That's not a, that's not enough <laughs> for me. I think he's got you on that. That's one. not enough for me. I've had enough of Goldblum in my life. You've got the the campiness of old Randy Quaid. Yeah, Randy Quaid. Got, Randy Quaid's yeah. more of a draw for me. It than has it has a little bit of everything in Independence Day. It's a, it's a bigger smorgasbord. Yeah. I was gonna say Goldberg was in the Return of the Universe, the second Universal Soldier. That's right. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of a different. Yeah, so no, project, sequels property. were not better. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm thinking of a different property. It might be. It's another one of those like you know future soldier properties. Like now, Stargate. That was Kurt Russell. Wasn't yeah, Stargate is tight. TV show is better. I've never seen the Rex, so I have no. No input. I was gonna say I think I own a copy, but I don't. I own a copy of Tammy. Never watched Theodore Rex because I've put it on. It's basically hard to find because I was working at Blockbuster when it came out on video, but I never actually watched it because we had a kids' corner. So all I had to do was make sure that it played. They took like Whoopi. They had to like like, sue her to like the kids' corner. (laughs) They like pulled her. They like took her to court to like force her to finish the movie. (laughs) Watch, watch your kids while you're at the video stores, people, because. It's not as messed up. It's not. Kids corners. It's not Tammy and T Rex. And if you can find it's a video store, that, no. let me know where it is. I mean, the best part is uh, when he's in his car. He has the the hole for his tail out the back. Oh yeah, we uh, we watched it with a group of friends over here a couple of years ago. Like, it was a good movie for that. Dinosaurs, yes. a TV show, absolutely. I'll watch that anytime. <laughs> Theodore Rex just never did anything for me. Yeah, Theodore Rex is a it's a uh, group you know talk over movie. <laughs> Where you guys just, yeah. you know. I was not smoking weed at the time, <laughs> and I don't think, had I been smoking weed, that I would have been able to get the good kind of weed to make that enjoyable. You didn't have six bucks for Theodore Rex. I didn't need the money for the movie because I worked at Blockbuster. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. this was in the theater, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was, pay to get I don't think right it was now. there very long, but. No. I mean, I don't even know if it's, I think it, at one point it was difficult to find. I had to, like torrent like a vhs rip of it to watch it it's like howard the duck now you just can't find copies of that oh really i have a dvd copy over there oh i've got it i found a one at vintage stock but yeah it's out of print or yeah whatever. when you're when you're searching for it it's not available no, it's not because available, yeah. old peter jackson doesn't want people to remember that he was behind that movie george lucas well i thought peter jackson had something to do with this one did he i don't think he did did he, he like this i know it's a lucas production right the screenplay I don't know. That'd be funny. No? No? What movie am I thinking of then that Peter Jackson was involved with? Because, yeah, I thought that was... I mean, this movie never did go to... Theodore Rex never did go to theaters. Oh. It was supposed to. But the the screen tests were so bad that it went straight to video. On that $33.5 million budget that they had back in 1996. A few people lost some jobs. (laughs) Yeah, a few. (laughs) Talking about Howard the Duck, like, Lucas had to sell off some of his assets because he had just built Skywalker Ranch. Oh. And one of the things he sold off was what ended up turning into Pixar. Oh, Oh, really? Yeah. Because he sold it to Steve Jobs. Dang. Also, the Howard the Duck's the first quote-unquote Marvel movie in a theater. Yeah. That got to, that was actually in theater. Not the first one made or anything. But the first one that had a theatrical release. Wasn't... Yeah, I guess the Corman... Corman Orton's weren't official Marvel movies, were they? Nah. Yeah, though, you're talking about Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four and Captain America. I love the Albert Pune Captain America movie. I rented it as a kid and watched it like five times. Probably why Captain America is still one of my favorite superheroes. 
All right. We sidetracked. Three masterpieces, like I said. <laughs> Watch at your own at your own risk on all three of them. Even though I'd recommend watching all of them. Mm-hmm. Let's talk some Bash at the Beach. We see a shark swimming through water. An Bonner. animated shark. Bonner. And it gets to the Bash at the Beach logo with the words Hostile Takeover underneath. We then see clips of the Outsiders invading Nitro, followed by multiple angles of Eric Bischoff being put through a table at Great American Bash. Tony Schiavone then welcomes us to the show, where he's joined by Bobby the Brain Heenan and Dusty Rhodes for commentary. And they say they haven't seen or heard from Bischoff all day, and they don't know who the third man will be. But Shane already kind of told us who it was. But we go straight to our first match. Psychosis versus Ray Mysterio Jr. I mean, come on, let's go. And we haven't seen Psychosis since Super J Cup second stage, episode 175. And the marvelous Mike Tanay joins the booth for this match. I mean, you know when Mike Tanay shows up on commentary, you're probably in for a treat, a treat. in the ring and, uh, you know, over, over the microphone. Yep. I gotta say, these two, uh, it's good to see them in such clear, clear quality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the previous matches have been a little, a little fuzzy, a little blurry. It's, it's nice to see them all big and bright. So yep. crisp and clean, let those colors on those uniforms, not uniforms, on their gear, and their gear pop <laughs> uniforms. So Ray goes for a handshake, only for psychosis to slap him. So the two men begin to trade mat holds and submissions until Mysterio is sent to the floor by a spinning heel kick. Psychosis then flies over the ropes with a tope con heel, hitting his own head on the railing, but recovers to hit a trio of leg drops. Is that the spot where his head goes like under the rail? Yeah. It was like, One leg drop inside the ring, one off the top rope, and one across the bottom rope. Triple threat. Psychosis then hits a running clothesline for a two count, followed by the two ending up on the apron, where Ray monkey flips Psychosis into the ring post, post, and down to the floor, where Mysterio leaps off the apron with a hurricanrana to send his opponent into the guardrail. Psychosis is then rolled in, followed by Ray nailing a springboard rana for a near fall, before starting to focus on the leg with drop kicks and a leg lock. Only for Psychosis to fight back with a drop toe hold and a head scissors. Psychosis hits a huge hot shot across the ropes before a reverse DDT causes Mysterio to roll out to the floor. But Psychosis follows out to keep up the attack, press slamming Ray across the guardrail. This is around the time that I noticed, oh no, there's a pole in the corner. Yeah. And I couldn't wait to find out who was going to be on it. Psychosis then heads to the top rope, coming off with a senton to the floor, followed by an insiguri back inside the ring. I mean, the guys are getting after it. This is the kind of first match we love to see, and they know Ted's got deep pockets. And so much use of the uh, Rana, Rana, Frankensteiner, Rana, Rana, Frankensteiner, (laughs) Frankensteiner, Rana. Frank and Rana? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Psychosis works the back with a camel clutch and a hammerlock. Only for Mysterio to recover to speed the match up with athletic reversals into a Rana that sends Psychosis out to the floor. Ray then hits a springboard drop kick to his opponent on the apron, followed by a top rope Rana to send them both 
down to the floor. Now back in the ring, Mysterio hits a slingshot Arabian press onto Psychosis for a two count, followed by a pair of drop kicks that would send his opponent back out to the floor. Ray would land a twisting ACI moonsault onto Psychosis, but would whack his knee on the railing, allowing Psychosis to recover enough that when Mysterio goes for another Hurricanrana back into the ring, Psychosis would just counter into a sit-out powerbomb for a near fall. Ray is then driven into a turnbuckle and set on the top rope for a super splash mountain bomb, only for Mysterio to reverse in mid-air for a Frankensteiner to get the pin and the win. Fun start to this show. Mm-hmm. Yep. I appreciate the uh, that yeah they go to the floor a bunch, but they are respectful of, of the ten count, which just makes the moves ma- matter more. Makes when you get thrown into the steel move like mean something, because you can't just throw each other into the steel for ten minutes. Welcome to the big leagues, boys. Mean Gene's in the back with Conan, and our. U.S. champ explains the ending of the previous match because, you know, he's kind of the knowledge on Mexican wrestling, basically. Yeah, he's like the, he's the, the at the moment right now, the biggest and most established Mexican wrestler on WCW. Yeah. Television, pay-per-view, what have you. The man's got a belt. Yep. And Oakland then starts talking about Conan's hectic schedule. And Gene even believes that Flair is overconfident with Conan agreeing before threatening anyone who gets involved in the match, including the women. Uh-oh. Conan gonna hit a bitch. Yeah. A little bit. Oh, Conan. I'm glad to see that the uh, KKK has been shaved away. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Yeah. K-Dog uh, <laughs> went, went, uh, took some American history classes. So we go to our second match. Big Bubba Rogers with Jimmy Hart versus John Tenta. In a Carson City Silver Dollar match. Yeah, that's that's about what this match is worth. That's a thing, I a guess. Car- one Carson City Silver Dollar. So since the last time we saw these two, Big Bubba had continued to haunt the former shark, attacking him with a sock full of silver dollars and shaving the rest of his beard. So the rules of this match is that there is a loaded sock on top of a pole, and whoever grabs it first can use it. Yeah. No, not bare knuckles, not 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 brass knuckles, not like a baseball bat. Nope, sock full of silver dollars. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. Yep. And it's just a tube sock. It's just a tube sock full of coins. And uh, that, that pole is a good 20 feet high. It is insanely high. I was like, neither of these guys could get up there if you put a million dollars at the end of that fucking pole. Exactly. And we're having a Carson City match in Daytona Beach. I thought of that as well. <laughs> I don't even know where the fuck Carson City is. Nevada. Nevada. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Also, Tenta still has half his head shaved. Poor guy. Poor guy didn't just, just go into the gas station. I mean, that uh, that shows you what the Dungeon of Doom pays right there. You can't even get a... Can't even afford a haircut. Half a haircut. <laughs> so, as Tenta makes it to the ring, Rogers runs from him. But once... They're in the ring. Tinta takes him down with shoulder blocks, chokes, and turnbuckle smashes. And John looks to climb up, but Big Bubba stops him and hits his comical windmill punch before trying to go up as well, which Tinta press slams Rogers down to the mat. 
And John tries the pull again, but once more is brought down, this time with a back suplex by Rogers. And Big Bubba goes up, only for Tenta to knock him down, causing him to crotch himself, followed by Atomic dropping him onto the top turnbuckle as well. John then tosses Rogers out to the floor and returns to the pole and realizes that he's not getting up there. So he decides to try and bring it down to him by unstrapping the pole from the ring. Which I was kind of like, smart. that's actually pretty smart. Like, yeah, and it's weird the scissors they give him, they're like surgery scissors. They're very funny looking. Now Big Bubba has recovered by this point, returning to the ring with his belt in hand, choking Tinto with it before taping John to the ropes with athletic tape. And Roger starts whipping Tinto with the belt before grabbing scissors to cut the rest of John's hair. But Tinto goes low with a kick, allowing him to grab the scissors and cut the tape. John then tries to use the scissors to cut the straps, holding the pole, but Big Bubba stops him with headbutts and a spine buster. And now Rogers realizes that he's not climbing up the pole either, so he tells Jimmy Hart to do it instead. And Hart shimmies to the top and grabs the sock. But while this is happening, Tinta has delivered a power slam to Rogers, so once Jimmy slides down to the ropes, John's sitting there waiting, takes the sock, and nails Big Bubba for the win. Whack. Good on Jimmy Hart. He really got he really got up there. Mm-hmm. And we all know he's not a young man, but he is an invincible man. He's probably like 41. <laughs> you think so? I mean, I get it. 61 maybe? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Post-match, Tinta opens up the sock and dumps the coins on Rogers. Even placing a couple on his eyes. So he has entry to Hades. Yeah, I think it's funny that he's like, oh, I bet this would look cool on TV. And then you watch it and you're like, "Get, just move on. <laughs> Can't pay attention to anything that you're doing because your stupid hair is distracting you. So pick up a few of those coins, go to the barber. Or go find Booty Man. I'm sure he's still got some clippers somewhere for you. Uh, Tony starts begging Bischoff to call them if he's watching. Like, do you really think he's just chilling at home watching the show? Like, Yeah, I mean, uh, you don't think nobody else has tried. Yeah, people have been trying to call him. He knows where he needs to be. This is, uh, you know, this is his job. We go to the back and Mean Gene is there with Team WCW. And they're all wearing Sting face paint. Nice touch. Oakland asks Macho Man if he knows who the third man is. With Savage saying he doesn't care. They will get hurt. No matter what. Is this when you decided not to be the third man? Because Savage threatened your life? No, I'm not the third man of this show. I'm the third man of this show. Uh, <laughs> okay. I didn't get it. I was going to keep a running joke yeah. up with that you're the third man of this show. No. So Lugers then says they are prepared, calling in an honor and a privilege to represent WCW. And he continues by trying to make a point with Macho yelling at him to get at it already. So Lex says the outsiders talked a lot of trash, but actions speak louder than words. And Sting speaks about the unknown, and it gives him dry mouth, chills, and goosebumps. But he likes it. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. It was pretty good for a Sting promo. Mm-hmm. Savage then says they're pumped before everyone yells, growls, and poses. And we go to our third match, Diamond, Dallas Page. 
versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He's back. In a taped fist match for the Battle Bowl ring. And the story behind this match is that DDP had accused Hacksaw of stealing his ring. But Duggan claimed that he found it on the floor of a bathroom. And Hacksaw returned it to Paige, but with then punching with a taped fist. Hmm. Found it on the floor of a bathroom, eh? This is a little convoluted. Diamond Dallas doing some shady stuff in the bathroom for that benefactor of his? Perhaps? Hey, we get crab cam, guys. Oh, you know what I love. No fucking way. Crab cam. So they attached a camera to a little toy crab and let it run around the beach area that was near the entrance. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Looks like a first-person shooter, but if you were a crab. Yep. I miss the the old Bobby... Uh, Illustrator? Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Tron or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, it's crazy that they never... He didn't bring that over at all into WCW. Hmm. I mean, it's not like they couldn't afford it. I got 10 bucks. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, no, he's got a news company. He's probably just got one of those sitting in the back room. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> so the match gets going with Duggan hitting a shoulder block to send DDP out to the floor to start. But once Paige returns, he's able to hotshot Hacksaw across the top rope to knock him down. DDP then ties Duggan's feet around the ring post with athletic tape, allowing Paige to find scissors to cut the tape off of Hacksaw's fists. Hey, guys. We just did the scissors spot. We tape in in two matches back to back. Got to be better than that. 96, the year of the... Wait, no. The year of the scissor? No, I think it was 2022. (laughs) I mean, it might have been 96, and then it's just retro now. True. Yeah, they might have been born in 96. Very true. I mean, yeah, we we just... We saw old daddy ass last week getting it on with Sonny, so yeah. Could be the year of the scissor. The ref finally frees Duggan (laughs) on the outside. So when they make it back to the ring, DDP hits a headbutt, which ends up sending Paige stumbling into the ropes. I mean, look at that melon on Hacksaw. Where Hacksaw seesaw punches DDP until he falls out to the floor. And Duggan falls out to whip Paige into a guardrail and the ring post. Posted. Before bringing DDP back into the ring the hard way. Hacksaw goes for another suplex, but Paige blocks by grabbing hold of the ropes and reverses it into a single arm breaker takedown. And DDP goes up top, only for Hacksaw to fall into the ropes, causing Paige to crotch himself, allowing Duggan to take control with a face plant, turnbuckle smashes, and a clothesline that sends DDP out to the floor. And Hacksaw would follow out to continue the punishment with right hands, before rolling Paige in, and so when Duggan would try to re-enter the ring, DDP would kick the rope into Hacksaw's crotch before delivering a diamond cutter for the pin and, and the win. win. Yeah. I was so afraid that they were just like, all right, well, Duggan's back. Do the job, Paige. But it's like, come on. Paige is, Paige is uh, establishing himself. I like the kick the rope into the crotch. It's yeah. It's kind of a, like... Different way of doing things. Yeah, and you could see, you could tell what happened when it happened. Maybe, yeah, Dallas is just like, some things can look kind of real, even though they're silly. Unlike these seesaw punches you have me working so hard for. Post-match, Duggan immediately stops selling and begins to tape his fist while Paige celebrates. So when DDP turns, Hacksaw punches him 
knocking him out. And DDP's doing the Lord's work for the WCW mid-card recently. Yep. Johnny's gone, so somebody's got to pick up the slack. Yep. And DDP is more a more dynamic character, even though I got I got some love for. Her. Oh yeah, any Johnny, of us, be, Johnny be bad. Any of us like could Mark Mero? No, I mean that's his real name. Any of us could be DDP, but there's there's really only one Johnny. <laughs> yeah, not never not everybody has that bone structure. <laughs> mean Jeans in the locker room with the Giant, Kevin Sullivan, and Jimmy Hart. And Oakland thinks that their opponents will prevent the Giant from entering the ring, and will just double team the Taskmaster. And Sullivan says the Horsemen think that he's the weak link before telling Mean Gene to ask the Giant if that's true, with the champ reassuring the Taskmaster that he isn't the weak leak, calling him the backbone of the Dungeon of Doom. The Giant would continue by saying he takes exception to the horsemen calling themselves the Elite. The Elite. The the Elite. <laughs> I think Kevin Sullivan's more of the footstool of the Dungeon of Doom. Because he's the Elite one. Because he's the champion. Before threatening to make horse stew. <laughs> Horse shit. Hey, at least he's not rhyming. We then go to Lee Marshall, who's on the beach set with Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. And Lee says that one of them will get a title shot if they win the tag match. But Double A wants to discuss the Outsiders first. And he continues by saying he's no fan of Sting, Luger, and Savage, but does think that they will win before daring them to jump the horseman next. And the enforcer then says that people in Daytona warned him that Sullivan would beat him up for what he did. But he's not worried, because they're going to chop the giant in half till he's only three foot six. And Benoit calls himself silent but violent, and has tolerated the Dungeon of Doom for way too long. And tonight they will finish it, and he will leave Sullivan for dead. I like that silent but violent. The quiet, the quiet crippler. Yeah, that that should have been a T-shirt. Maybe it, maybe it will be. Maybe, maybe it was. Who knows? Maybe that'll be our next T-shirt re-release. <laughs> yeah, I our, forgot the count, yeah, but you first know, T-shirt I, re-release. Yeah, I don't know. We made a T-shirt. Silent but violent. Came up with a T-shirt. Silent by design. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Chris Benoit shirts are fucking flying off the shelves, guys. I mean, you don't know. If somebody's out there wearing one, they're just kind of being a heat. They're they're being. They're being a little, uh, a little edgy. They're wearing it mm-hmm. under their undershirt. No, they're if they're wearing it out, out, out loud and proud. It's like, uh. so we then go to our fourth match: the Nasty Boys of Jerry Sags and Brian Knobs versus Public Enemy of Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge in a double dog collar match. To which I say, uh, yuck. <laughs> yeah, when I saw the uh, the collars. In the ring, yeah, that was kind of my first take on it too. Was oh brother, oh brother, brother. But brother. hey, I feel like I haven't heard the Nasty Boys song in a while. True, it's probably because pretty... we haven't seen them since Super Brawl Six, hey. episode one eighty nine. Yeah, it seems like they got some new shirts or something because they seemed extra bright compared to their normal paint splatter thing. Oh yeah, maybe it's just brighter lights in the building or something. But yeah, maybe yeah, it might just be a, a newer a newer building. So and maybe it's maybe better I, cameras. Maybe it's because I hadn't seen them in a while, so they just didn't look as nasty as I remembered because they cleaned up in their time off. The Nasty Boys. Like, Public Enemy is the Nasty Boys for bingo halls. Yeah. So it's like, oh, Nasty Boys versus, like, 
nastier boys. So once all four men are hooked up in their collars, everyone immediately starts brawling to the floor. So we'd go to what Dusty calls a double trouble bash at the beach bubble. <laughs> or a split screen. Yes. yes. And yes, you know he what? did say that. Can you imagine <laughs> like getting this pay-per-view on your like 27-inch television in 1996 and then... It goes split screen, but they're like <laughs> one inch squares because the rest of it's just like, you know, saved by the bell graphics. So chains, chairs, and trash cans are all used as weapons when Rocco tries walking a rail, only for sags to crotch him. And they fight their way to the beach set, where Nobbs hits Johnny with an inflatable shark. Oh my gosh. I've heard those are dangerous. While Rock is hit with a surfboard by Jerry. That's more like it. No, not the wrestling move. An actual An surfboard. Actual surfboard, yes. These guys are not doing moves. Rocco uses a life preserver and then starts to climb the lifeguard stand as Grunge bulldogs Brian onto the boardwalk. On the boardwalk. And Rock leaps off with a somersault senton onto Sags before climbing up again the lifeguard stand. But this time Jerry just pulls it over, sending Rocco down to the floor. And now it's splattered with blood. No, it's not. It's, <laughs> no, there's no blood yet. Elbow dropped by knobs on Johnny for a two count before everyone starts making their way back towards the ring, where Sags suplexes a table onto Rock. We've got trash everywhere, and I couldn't agree more. Commentator that said that. Grunge then sets the same table up, with all of them fighting around it and on top of it, until Jerry pile drives Rocco onto the concrete, but Johnny makes a save on the pinfall. Mm-hmm. And they're battling... When they're battling in the sand, Bobby says, I'd hate to follow these guys around with a pooper scooper. And I think he's just getting in a jab. Letting us know that this is shit. <laughs> Working so hard to be so uncompelling. Uncompelling? That's not even a word. Sags charges at Rock, who sidesteps, sending Jerry onto the table. Followed by Rocco leaping off a guardrail with a splash to send them through the table. Knobs with a leg drop for a two count in the aisleway before everyone returns to the ring where another table is brought in. Dun, dun, dun. And Brian is tossed face first into the table by Grunge, followed by Rock making it in to set the table up, placing Jerry on top. You gotta put it, do it in the ring so you get a nice clean shot for your future packages. And Rocco climbs to the top, but he's yanked off by Sags, right into the table, but he just bounces off. Boing! They didn't gimmick the table. He doesn't <laughs> use that many tables. Rock is then placed on the table with Jerry heading up top for a chain-assisted flying elbow. But the table still doesn't break. (laughs) I am the table! (laughs) And they decide that this table is the bane of their existence. So Johnny gets hung over the ropes by knobs, with Brian stretching his chain out, while Sags whips Rocco into that chain. Makes the cover for the pin... And the win. Post-match, Public Enemy attacks the Nasties while Nobbs grabs a chair. But Johnny nails him with the chain. And Rocco finally breaks that table by slamming Sags onto it. For good measure. Followed by an elbow drop from the apron. Third time's charm. And that elbow drop looked like it hurt. Yeah. (laughs) Because, I mean, we already know that table really had no give to it, so... Yeah, I think falling onto it while it was broken may have hurt more than falling onto it while it wouldn't break. Did you guys notice, remember uh, the public enemy come out and do their hand thing? Mm-hmm. 
and it didn't really work in previous times on WCW. Daytona's turned up. They were they were they were with them. They, they, did. they did they did the hand thing. Okay. I didn't uh, notice that. But it doesn't really matter because they lost. This is the public enemy that I knew because I didn't watch ECW back in the day, so And yeah. That's why when they debuted in ECW my face kind of looked like this because it was just like, oh, cool. I mean, I imagine if you well, had never seen WCW, this is or ECW, this is something, you know, this is wild. We've seen smatterings of this stuff in WCW over the last couple of years, but I think this might be the one with maybe the most garbage. I don't know. Harlem Heat's had some. Oh, this is definitely the most garbage show. <laughs> yes. Not and yet. I'm not talking just the wrestling. <laughs> So Ming Jeed's backstage near the Outsiders locker room, and it's surrounded by security guards when Okerlund threatens to go to a lawyer if they touch him. And he wanted to get a word with them, but they don't want to talk. So Ming Jeed just begins to speculate about who the third man is. Who could it be now? So we go to our fifth match. Disco Inferno versus Dean Malenko for the WCW Cruiserweight championship and the story behind this match was that disco had interrupted one of dean's matches calling it boring and wanting to show off his gold record instead and inferno would start dancing until malenko would attack him don't talk shit on the ice man so disco comes out and he takes the mic calling dean mr personality before inviting everyone to his disco dance party and Malenko hits the ring, slapping Inferno and throwing him to the floor, descending into a guardrail and a ring post. Posted. Back in the ring, Dean keeps up the attack with clotheslines and a leg lariat before hitting a brain buster, turnbuckle smashes, a back suplex, and a figure four. Malenko's now focusing the punishment on the knee, working at STF, more turnbuckle smashes, and a sunset flip for a two count. But Disco begins to fire up with right hands and a hot shot across the top rope for a near fall. Continues with a turnbuckle smash, but Dean hits a headbutt to the gut to back Disco up. Dean, we're going to have to call you on the headbutt to the gut. (laughs) But outside of that, you're doing great. The headbutt to the gut, not so believable. It's one of a thousand moves, man. It is one of a thousand moves. Disco is then tossed to the floor, where Malenko would run Inferno into a guardrail again. Before they would head back into the ring, where Dean would work one of his thousand holds and a slingshot leg drop. Until Disco rallies again with right hands and elbows, before blocking an axe handle and nailing a neckbreaker for a two count. Inferno would follow up with a back body drop and another neckbreaker, but he would decide to dance, so only a near fall. And kind of the story of the match was that like he always just starts dancing instead of Continuing whenever Continuing, he can. and that's why he loses matches. And that was kind of the story the commentators were telling. Yeah, it's like was... he gets the edge for a second and can maybe turn the tides, but the man is compelled to dance. Right. Dean would then reverse a whip and follow in with a slingshot dropkick. He would go for the cloverleaf, but Disco would counter with a small package for a two-count. Inferno would nail a clothesline for a near fall, but Malenko would come back with a clothesline and toss Disco to the ropes. Dean would try for a dropkick, only for Inferno to have held onto those ropes. 
The two would then fight over a backslide, but Malenko would reverse it into a double underhook powerbomb, followed by transitioning it into a Texas Cloverleaf for the submission and, and the win. win. Yeah, I haven't seen much Disco Inferno, and I always assumed that, like, he was bad, and granted he's in there with Dean Malenko, so, like, you know, he's got somebody in there that's not going to make him look terrible, but I think he did a fine job here. Oh, yeah. I always just assumed Disco was boo-boo, but maybe it's just his gimmick? What do you, what do you got? I want you to remember those words, because this might be the best Disco Inferno match we ever watched. I absolutely <laughs> believe you, but it's just funny, because I was like, oh, like this this was a solid, solid match. It was an enjoyable match. But, you know, Dean Malenko could probably work with he one of us and make it entertaining. Say, he, <laughs> we, we get a gentleman's three wrestling Dean Malenko, and we yeah. don't know how to wrestle, so... Yeah. We go to our sixth match, Desperado Joe Gomez versus Steve Mongo McMichael with Deborah And a dog. Ditka. 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 Yeah, Pepe, uh, Pepe didn't like the heel turn, so he stayed at home. <laughs> Joe who? Uh, Joe Gomez. Gomez. The Desperado. Yes. Okay. So the story behind this match was that the horsemen had attacked Gomez and the Renegade backstage. Oh, with Mongo hitting him in the head with his briefcase. Yeah, briefcase gimmicks going. We get more crab cam. Crab cam! Joe Gomez kind of looks like he could be Mongo's like little brother or yep. son. Like They have very similar faces. Yeah, there was one one time where I looked at the screen I had to stop for a second just to figure out who was who. Yeah, it's like maybe that's the angle they should have done. So Mongo uses chops and shoulder blocks early on before delivering a three-point stance clothesline. Mongo miss. The Desperado <laughs> fights back with chops and a crossbody, but McMichael takes him to a corner for more shoulder blocks. Gomez blocks and reverses a turnbuckle smash, only for Mongo to then mule kick down low to regain control. McMichael follows up with a punt to the ribs and begins focusing on the midsection with a backbreaker before locking the Desperado in a camel clutch. Gomez breaks free, but he runs into a sleeper, only to then escape with a jawbreaker. Gomez would then telegraph a back body drop, allowing Mongo to nail a reverse neckbreaker for a two count. He would go for the figure four, but the Desperado would roll him up for a near fall. McMichael, with a body slam, attempts an elbow drop, only for Gomez to roll out of the way. But Mongo recovers and goes for a pile driver, which the Desperado counters with a back body drop and then starts hitting chops and multiple drop kicks before tossing McMichael to the ropes and telegraphing that back body drop again, allowing Mongo to hit a sunset flip. But he doesn't get him over, so the Desperado just sits on him for a two count, followed by McMichael finally being able to pull him over for a near fall. Mongo then would lift Gomez up for a tombstone pile driver for the pin... And, and the win. win. And he pins him with his hand on his throat, which I'm pretty sure is illegal. He's trying to be a badass. I know. I know. But I will say, Joe Gomez has better rights than a lot of guys working today. His uh, his punch his punches looked good. Mm-hmm. That was something that I noticed. It's like, damn. Those look a lot better than a lot of the ones I see on all the promotions that I uh, step in and out of today. Swimming jeans in the back with Ric Flair, Miss Elizabeth, and Woman. Woman's teasing me, Jean. 
He, he's very distracted by her. So the nature boy begins without him, predicting victory for all of the horsemen. And he starts singing, La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha, while talking about styling and profiling, thinking Conan is a man of a thousand holds. No. Wrong champion, Nate. <laughs> and Jean wants to speak to the ladies, asking Liz about the party she's throwing with Savage's money, when woman would offer him a private party. Wink, wink. And Flair begins to mock Macho Man, so Mean Gene claims Rick has said it all, with the Nature Boy replying, Not only said it all, done it all! Woo! And uh, Rick is fucked up. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah he was, Mean Gene's just like, dude, let me finish this segment. <laughs> like, when woman has to lead the promo, you know Flair isn't quite there. Yeah, he's chewing a hole in the side of his mouth. <laughs> so Oakland decides to not go to the party. But Woman doesn't believe him and starts to touch him again. As Gene says, they're going to have a pole vaulting competition. Hell yeah, I mean, Gene. You, you, you dirty little comedian, you. Dirty old man going to perv, and in this case, on camera. I mean, he's the most charming man to do it. <laughs> so we go to our seventh match. Conan versus the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, with Woman and Miss Elizabeth. For the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship, the champion came out first. Foreshadowing. And Conan is currently our Mexican Heavyweight Champion, not ours. It's not a it's not a WCW title, but he's got the belt with him. That's right. He just needs a, you know a Canadian Championship to have all of North America. Trying to double, trying to yeah, trying to double up here. So Conan has tape on his head, and it was because the ladies had attacked him with her shoes. Oh. That's kind of what basically led to this match. Okay. So Nate toys with Conan to begin, shaking his hand and taking him to a corner, only to back away, before the two men would trade headlocks, pin attempts, drop kicks, and slaps. Flair would use a cheap shot to nail some chops, but Conan would respond with a back body drop and a surfboard stretch. Conan would keep up the attack with multiple press slams, chops, and a pair of clotheslines that end up with them on the floor. And Conan climbs to the apron while the ladies come to check on the nature boy. So when the champ comes flying off with the diving clothesline, he hits Miss Elizabeth down as well. Uh-oh. Elizabeth down. Said he's going to hit even the women. and They get in the way. Miss Elizabeth is a starter. I mean, she's probably been hit before. Conan climbs to the that. top turnbuckle now, but Woman starts shaking the ropes, causing him to crotch himself and fall off to the mat. Nate would take advantage with a running knee drop for a two count, and chops and an eye poke, which causes the ref to admonish Flair. But the distraction allows Woman to come into the ring to kick Conan's cojones. Now Miss Elizabeth climbs to the apron, so the ref has to deal with her, allowing the nature boy to toss Conan over the ropes to the floor where Woman rakes the eyes. Nate then brings Conan in the hard way for a near fall, before applying a headlock, which the champ escapes with elbows and begins to fire up with chops and mounted punches for a flare flop. Conan then sends the nature boy to a corner for a flare flip out to the apron, with the champ following in with a springboard dropkick that sends Nate out to the floor. 
Now back in the ring, Conan's delivering right hands when the ref stops him, allowing Flair to cheap shot the champ, toss him to the ropes, only for Conan to attempt a sunset flip. But the Nature Boy stays up and punches down. Nature then goes for the figure four, but Conan counters into a small package for a two count, followed by a drop toe hold before locking on a figure four of his own. And Flair makes his way to the ropes, only for the ref to kick his hands away. (laughs) Maybe he forgot that the nature boy was the one in the hole, not putting on the hole. Yeah, that was the spot again. I had to rewind. It's like, like, I'm not used to What the fuck did I miss here? I'm so not used to this. Normally, uh, you know, Rick's... Yeah. But then Nate grabs the ropes again, forcing the break. And Flair would roll out to the apron, so Conan brings him in with a vertical suplex for a near fall. Tosses the nature boy to a corner only to charge into a back elbow. And Nate then heads up top, where Conan press slams him off to the mat, followed by a bulldog for a two count and a rolling clothesline for a near fall. Flair would reverse a whip and go for a hip toss, but Conan would counter into an ab stretch before rolling Nate over for a cover. But the ladies have both climbed up onto the apron with Miss Elizabeth distracting the ref. Conan is sent to the corner where he leaps up and over a charging flare, only to receive chops and a backbreaker. And Conan makes it back to his feet when Woman would crack him across the head with her shoe, allowing the nature boy to make the cover for the pin, and with his feet on the ropes, the win. And And new! Via drive-by shoeing. Yeah. Yeah, that little end sequence took way too long they were like out of position yeah like woman's like sitting there like yeah yeah she's like get get over here i can only reach so far i'm starting to look pretty silly (laughs) yeah i do love how much rick gave conan but he only wanted like a true heel this is the thing about because they've kind of put flair down in the u.s championship picture because the heavyweight picture is all mangled up with what's going on and he goes down here and just starts having fun because mm-hmm. he can just have great matches with people yeah basically yeah he doesn't have to close the show so he can do a little blow in between and Woo! just kind of be silly and just have a good match and i mean yeah this is a super entertaining match yeah so we go to Mean Gene, he's in the back, and he's outside the Outsider's locker room once again. Trying to eavesdrop. And he says he can hear voices and said, and a third man has joined them. And the voices are muffled, but Okerlund finds one of them very familiar, stirring something in his subconscious. Which is so funny. It's such an unmistakable voice behind that like, door. Does he say brother a lot? <laughs> like, I thought you needed your security guards and your 30 feet of distance between you and a door. How are you suddenly so brave enough that you can stand there and touch the handle? Maybe they were on a smoke break. No, they were talking. Or the security. Gotcha. Yeah. Mean Gene then asks Tony if he knows anything. And of course, Shivani's no help because he just asks Okerlund to make a guess. Has Shivani ever been a whole lot of help? (laughs) I like him, but I'm just saying. Keenan then chimes in to have Gene bribe the cops for info. And Oakland almost does, but decides that that's a terrible idea. And they talk about Bischoff, and there's still no update on that front. They're so worried about Eric. 
I mean, yeah. he's the president. Like, he should be at the show. Totally should. Totally should. Where are you, Eric? So we go to our eighth match. The Horseman of the Enforcer, Arn Anderson, and the Crippler, Chris Benoit, versus the Dungeon of Doom of the Giant and the Taskmaster with Jimmy Hart. And if the Horsemen win, then one of their members will get a WCW title match on Nitro, with all of them implying that it would go to Flair. I mean, you know, I'd love to see it go to Arn or Chris, but I mean, it's Ric Flair's Ric Flair. He's the leader of the Horsemen. As long as it's not Mongo, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, no shit. Mongo versus the Giant. Yeah, that's, that's a big old shit sandwich. It's got Starcade written all over it. <laughs> I was going to say, just shitting all over the good name of Starcade, but Starcade's good name isn't that good once you start running down some cards. No. Starcade's good name kind of stopped being good after 1983. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Shots fired. So the dungeon jumped the horsemen during their entrance, with Sullivan tossing double A into guardrails, using chairs, when Mongo would come running out to nail the giant. With his briefcase. Uh, foreshadowing. So the giant would chase him to the back, allowing the horsemen to take control of the taskmaster in their corner, making frequent tags. Sullivan looks to fight back with right hands and biting, but it's not enough as Arn tosses the taskmaster out to the floor, where the crippler and Sullivan trade ramming each other into the guardrail, before the taskmaster drags Anderson out to the floor as well to throw him into the steel. Back in the ring, the Enforcer cuts off Sullivan, keeping him from making a tag, as the Giant has finally made his way down to the ring, allowing the Horseman to regain control with body slams, chops, headbutts, and ramming the Taskmaster into a corner. Sullivan kicks away both men and delivers a double knocker, but he falls over, so the Horseman jump back on him to prevent a tag. Now Double A attempts a DDT near the ropes, only for the giant to clothesline him from the apron, causing the taskmaster to fall on top of Arn for a two-count. The crippler tags in and takes Sullivan to the top turnbuckle, when the giant would come into the ring, so Benoit would leap off with a crossbody, only for the big man to catch him and throw him onto Anderson, who had just jumped into the ring as well. The giant goes back out to the apron, but the taskmaster still hasn't recovered. So the horsemen go back on the offensive with an ab stretch and leg locks, when the enforcer would try for a pump splash, only for Sullivan to get his knees up on double A. Benoit would get tagged in again to slow the momentum, before bringing Arn back in to attempt a spike pile driver. But the Taskmaster counters, catapulting Anderson into the crippler on the turnbuckle. Sullivan would then hit a back suplex of the enforcer, before crawling over to his corner to make the hot tag. More like a giant tag. The giant enters the ring while Benoit and Taskmaster start brawling their way to the beach set and to the announcer stage. Double A rolls out, but the big man gives chase, catching up with him to nail a big boot, a vertical suplex, and a choke slam for the pin and the win. Post-match, Crippler and Sullivan continued to fight, with Benoit diving off the commentator's platform onto the Taskmaster. And they would return to the ring, where the Crippler would deliver a super back suplex and would just keep stomping away on Sullivan. 
And all of a sudden, woman would come out, begging Benoit to stop. Chris, stop. Because he's going to hurt Sullivan. And at this time, it wasn't really public knowledge that woman and Sullivan were married in real life. Yeah. Today, we would like, we, yeah, would, we know would know that they were dating. Yeah. You know? yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no internet and it's not, uh, you know, you'd have to be in the know. Exactly. It'd be a real dweeb to know this at the time. You at least have to know her name was Nancy Sullivan. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. So the giant finally realizes that he left the Taskmaster behind. So he returns the ring to chase away the horseman and carry Sullivan to the back. Aw, little buddy. No Taskmaster left behind. (laughs) Tony then sends us to a video package where we get highlights of the outsiders showing up with fake newspaper headlines scrolling across the screen, such as, A hostile takeover is underway in WCW, as we see Scott Hall showing up the first time. This is it, WCW, where the big boys play, and Sting confronts outsiders, as Hall interrupts the announcer's booth, with Sting coming out to confront him. The man shows up with a big surprise. Daring duo has not divulged man number three. And outsiders rock WCW once again. As Hall brings Nash with him during another interruption. Who is the third guy? Great American Bash. Bischoff is attacked. With a scene from Great American Bash. Stop the outsiders as we see shots of Luger, Macho Man, and Sting. War is on, and the hostile takeover. What's next for WCW? As the Outsiders would jump the railing with security, keeping them out of the ring. There's a lot of speculation regarding man number three, and all wrestlers have banded together, as we would see security remove the Outsiders from the building on a different interruption. We then get the Bash at the Beach logo with the headlines, Don't miss history in the making. The hostile takeover. War is on. And who is the third man? You would think that the tagline for the show would be, Who is the third man? Who is the third man? Hostile takeover. Like, the war is on. The war is on. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Something about them fighting for WCW. You'd think if they were going to go through and make this little video package, they'd make it a little better. Like, the clips and everything were great, but it was just quiet with music playing. It's also the same exact highlights that they showed in the opening. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't anything different. Yeah, they didn't really uh, dramatize it too much no. more. It's... Credit's, you know, it's already hot. Why, why spend the extra money? <laughs> So we go to our ninth match, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and a mystery third man. Third man. And I noticed that they never say their names until towards the end of this show. Yeah, they're just, they're the, just outsiders. the outsiders. Yeah. Versus Lex Luger, Sting, and Macho Man Randy Savage. So the story behind this match, like we know Hall and Nash showing up, but... The way that teams WCW decided on their team. WCW did a random draw. And they picked the three 
most over they chose they weren't Ric Flair. They had the top six guys pieces. based on their win loss records, and they put their names in a hat: Flair, Giant, Hogan, Lex, Macho Man, Sting. Those were the six. So basically, because we all know who the third man is. Basically, it was to go. Well, this is the reason why Hogan's not here. This is the reason why Flair's not in this match. This is the reason no, why Giant's, Giant's not in this match. match. Yeah. It's these three guys because it was this random draw. So they actually, I'll give I'll give them a little bit of credit because I never knew this until I was doing this research. Yeah, it's a little bit of a little bit of logic mm-hmm. put yeah. into why it's those three guys. And also, Hogan doesn't show up on every show, so. Not that weird that he's not But he's here. still the biggest star. Yeah. So you would think that they would be like, well, if we have this going on, we need Hogan here. Yeah. And so Hogan would show up and save the day, basically. Because that's what Hogan does. It's all he's ever done. Yeah. So Michael Buffer does the introduction, so let's get ready to take over. Hostily, though, please. So the Outsiders third band doesn't come out with them. So Mean Gene confronts them in the ring. And Hall says the third man is here, and he's ready. But they have enough to handle WCW by themselves. So Scott and Luger start us off shoving each other, and then they start trading slaps and forearms. And Lex knocks Nash off the apron, allowing Hall to attack from behind, sending Luger out to the floor. But when he returns the apron, he clotheslines Scott and tries for Kevin only for Nash to grab hold of him. Savage would fly in with a double axe handle to Hall, while a stinger splash is nailed on Kevin, only for Lex to be crushed in the process as well, causing him to fall out to the floor, unconscious. Total package my ass. (laughs) Sting goes to check on Lex, while Macho brawls with Scott on the floor, ramming him into the guardrail. And medical personnel finally come out to stretch Luger away. He's out cold. With his teammates looking on. When Hall would come over to attack Lex. Now it's even, but it might be like the weakest excuse for a stretcher job. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if the guy who gets stretchered off might return. Could he be the third man? That'd be a pretty sick uh, swerve. Time will tell. So the match will get going again after Luger is rolled off, with Sting going to town on Scott, delivering atomic drops and a faceplant. And Tony Schiavone finally says the names, Nash and Hall. Savage flies in with an axe handle, only for Hall to nail him in the gut on the way down. Scott goes to pick a fight with the Stinger, allowing Nash to come in with snake eyes on Macho Man. And Savage fires back with a clothesline to Hall for a two-count. But Scott is able to make the tag, bringing in Kevin, who takes control with forearms and body slams. And Nash goes for an elbow drop, only for Macho to move late, so he still gets hit, but does make it to the corner to tag the stinger in. Yeah, that one looked a little bit ugly. I was trying to figure out if if Savage forgot he was supposed to move and then tried to do it too late, or so. if the timing was just off, or what. They were at the wrong angle, but yeah, he's lucky he didn't end up with a... Fucked up neck or something, because... It's a close one. Kevin goes to work on Sting with elbows and knees in the corner. Chokes with a boot, only for the Stinger to leap up and over a charging Nash to hit a dropkick. Sting then goes for a sunset flip, but Kevin stays up. Picks up the Stinger by the throat and tosses him 
down to the mat. And Savage keeps running in to try and stop the attack. But all it does is causes a ref distraction, allowing the outsiders to continue the punishment with fallaway slams and big boots. As Bobby Heenan says, we're in deep sand. That's it. He was going to say we're in deep shit because uh, heels are cutting off and beating down the baby faces. Sting ducks a clothesline and nails a drop kick to the knee of Nash. Hall runs in with an elbow to the back of Stinger's head to stop the tag. Scott also hits Macho with a right hand, which brings him in, only for the ref to stop him, all while Sting has rolled up Hall for a very late one count. Scott with several elbow drops and locks on an ab stretch with leverage before Nash comes in to do the same until a rake of the eyes allows the Stinger to escape. Hall hits a clothesline before applying a headlock, then tosses Sting out to the floor while Savage grabs a chair and tries to use it, only for the ref to stop him. I mean, Savage doing the Lord's work over here, making this this beatdown section of the match really mean something. As if, you know, everyone's not already pulling for him. Back in the ring, Scott continues with right hands for a two count. Kevin with elbows across the back and a sidewalk slam for a near fall. Nash hits multiple turnbuckle smashes and sends the Stinger to the ropes, but telegraphs a back body drop allowing Sting to kick him away and fire up with chops and right hands before diving to his corner for the hot tag. Savage cleans house with a double axe handle, a double noggin knocker, and tosses Hall out up to the floor before pounding on Nash. He then leaps off the top rope to the floor with another double axe handle Onto Scott. Get him, Mach. Macho rolls Hall in and goes up top for a third double axe handle back into the ring. He then grabs Kevin, only for him to go low to stop the momentum. And all of a sudden, Hulk Hogan is walking out to the ring. Biggest Hulk pop in years. Sending the outsiders bailing to the floor. And the Immortal One looks around before turning and leg dropping Savage multiple times. Oh. Before giving a thumbs up and high fives to the outsiders. He's the third man. The Hulkster throws the ref out of the ring before nailing another leg drop. Making a cover with Hall making the count. But the match is officially considered a no contest. Post-match, the fans begin to pelt the ring with trash as the three men celebrate. I love Bobby Heenan. What have I been saying all these years? <laughs> we see Sting pull Macho out of the ring and help him to the back. And at this point, they, they cut it from the show, or what's on the network. But a fan would jump in the ring, so Nash would immediately nail him with a forearm, followed by Hall stomping the fan out into the ring, out of the <laughs> ring. So if you if you actually watch, you'll like all of a sudden yeah, like a quick cut. Uh, they're celebrating and then it's cut and you'll see a bunch of the security like walking back and forth in front of the front row because they're basically grabbing him and and getting rid of the guy. The last time there was real heat, brother. Uh, mass transit, the early days. Gene gets into the ring and he asks what the hell Hogan is thinking, and Hulk says he needs to tell the people to shut up if they want to hear his answer. Hogan calls the Outsiders the future. He says this is the new world order of wrestling. These men came from that company up north. 
And who knows that place better than Hogan? Hulk says he made that promotion and its owner rich. But then he became bigger than the whole organization. The billionaire Ted would promise him movies, money, and world-caliber matches. But Hogan says he was bored with it all. He wanted the outsiders as his friends because they're the new blood. And he promises they will rule the wrestling business. They will destroy everything in their path. And then Gene points out all the crap in the ring, with Hogan saying it just represents the fans. He spent two years doing everything for charities and kids. And Hogan tells the fans to stick it. Fans can stick it, brother. They wouldn't be there without him. He also says Bischoff and the Johnny-come-latelys wouldn't be there without him. Hogan then forgets the name of their new group, calling it the New World Organization. <laughs> we then get Tony, Dusty, and Bobby commiserating over what just happened, with Shivani saying it's the end of Hulkamania, and telling him to go straight to hell as we go to credits. I mean, this match is the best commentary Tony Shivani's done to this point. Yes. Because they're all against these evil sons of bitches coming in here and fucking with WCW and powerbombing their boss and then the cherry on top is being disgusted by Hulk Hogan but you know Tony Schiavone sounds uh, present angry Mm -hmm. it's great to see him and Bobby on the same side so some fun third band notes fire away bring it I'm sure we've all heard the Mabel rumor (laughs) that was one that was floated out there why would anybody think that I think at this point it's just a joke. They probably didn't think about it for very long. <laughs> but there was also rumors that it was going to be Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. Possibly, because he was actually in the middle of a contract negotiation. Yeah. Obviously, wasn't him. Um, they actually also... if Because Hogan, Hogan had creative control in his contract. And he was never... He's, he had been pushing off turning heel forever. And basically, I mentioned to you guys at one point that he actually changed matches in the middle of matches because of that control. Like the World War Three match. He was supposed to be go, go over the top rope and be eliminated for Macho to win. But he decided in the middle of the match to roll under the ring. And so he, he literally would change matches in the middle of them because he could. Yeah. Okay. They couldn't fire him over. So they literally had a backup plan ready to go if Hogan had decided to say no. To not to act to actually start working uh, over the outsiders and helping Macho up or whatever. Correct. Because he could have. Um, he, he literally he literally could have come down and saved the day, basically. And it's and it probably took everything in his fucking you know big orange body not to do that. If that had happened. Sting would have been the third man, mm. turning Sting heel. Now, thinking ahead and knowing Hogan, that means that the New World Order probably would have been done by Starcade. Yeah, they would have because Hogan, Hogan would have just beat down Sting at Starcade, and the whole the whole yeah. run would have been over. They with. would have had tag teams and taken them, taken down Hall and Nash, shit all over them, and then and then finished off Sting and. Move on. So literally the only reason the New World Order will last as long as it did is because Hogan was willing to turn heel. It's the only way it really 
works with Hogan in this company. And it's probably and it's the biggest, like, it the biggest been heel turn. It Sting in there, I'm sure, but it wouldn't have had the same impact. No, I mean, I think it would have. It would have had an impact. It would have. It's the best option outside of Hogan, probably. Yeah, like just in general. Because I mean, the way the matches actually work. I mean, I mentioned it when Luger gets stretched back. That actually, if at the moment, like taking myself back to 27 years ago, feels like in the moment, weird. like. I could totally see Luger walking back out, being like, "I'm fine, I'm fine," and then getting in the ring and then just turning on Sting and Sting and Macho. And I mean, and Luger yeah. and Sting have had contentious relationship for the last year, anyway. Mm-hmm. So exactly. it makes it makes sense. Like the Hogan I mean, turn twist is like legitimately that would have been great. the third of third or fourth option that would have. I mean, it would have made sense in the moment, but Hogan, Sting, Bret Hart. I can't think of anybody else that literally would have made a whole lot of sense. I mean, Hogan's the biggest one. Cause yeah. Like, everybody loves Bret Hart, but he's not Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan being a heel for the first time since he's been been, I mean, been Hulk Hogan. I guess technically probably the biggest name would have been if Shawn Michaels hadn't been champion and he was coming over to WCW. But yeah. I think it would have been known that he was... If he had lost the belt all of a sudden, yeah, it would have been kind of like, oh... Wonder if it's Shawn Michaels. And Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart comes Brian Pillman are still not Hulk Hogan. The amount of people that Hulk Hogan turning heel brings in lapsed fans, like it's just yeah, it's obviously the best answer. Yeah, for good or bad, as you know, we all know about the huge money expenditures and how large this thing goes on to be in uh, in a bad way. Where everybody on is in the, in the goddamn NWO. Yeah. So I ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Bash the Beach 1996? For a WCW show, this was pretty solid all around. I I had a fun time rewatching this one. Some I I'm trying to think of horrible moments and everything kind of played played along nicely. You got storytelling. You've got history in the making you've got uh, nasties and whatever their names are public oh. enemies fighting <laughs> and i didn't hate it yeah it's a very very watchable easily watchable show with uh Must one of the, the biggest finishes in wrestling history ever yeah there's a couple of like really solid fun matches on here there's a couple of things that feel pretty uh wcw or you know but it's rising tide lifts all ships or whatever. And uh, by the end of the show, you forget about the sock on a pole match after, you know, the NWO, after Hogan comes out and drops the leg. Yeah. It washes a lot of that away. And what I'm left I with mean, is like... I think everything on this show probably could have just been shit. And it wouldn't would matter. Be, wouldn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. But we get a great... But it wasn't. We, yeah, we get a great... Uh, like fun, really fun Ric Flair Conan match. We get uh, great Ray and psychosis. and psychosis. We get Dean Malenko and Disco Inferno is really fun. The yeah, and then there's like you know Mongo and fucking Tenta and stuff like that. Where I'm like, eh, feel like they don't outstay their welcome, mm-hmm. but it might just be rose-colored glasses because of they you know, served their purpose in the, yeah. the pacing of the show. So, obviously, the storyline of the formation of the NWO is the biggest thing in modern-day wrestling history. Mm -hmm. And it's done 
so well. Yep. Like, taking myself back to 27 years ago, Hogan walks down that aisle. You're like, Hogan's here to save us. And then he turns and drops... You've been conditioned to believe that for so long. And he turns and drops that leg on Macho, and it's like... Instant... Holy fuck. What just happened? The only thing that is almost... Almost on the same level of shock was the the streak being broken because yeah. you didn't expect it to happen when it happened with who it happened with. Yeah. Now it was just one of those what the fuck just happened here? This where did my childhood go? This yeah. I never would have predicted Hulk Hogan to If it doesn't happen to turn the WWF probably never becomes a fucking billion dollar company. Like cuz this invigorates Everything and Hogan just would have continued to run people off, staying face or whatever. No, like he's not. People aren't fucking stoked on him. Wrestling's not in a really great position right now, but after tonight, it, it is. Like that moment, yeah, is like made made more money for Vince McMahon than it ever made anybody else in that fucking on in WCW. I mean, it made quite a bit of money for a lot of the boys. Yes. That were there. But, it, but you know. But, as we were saying, the undercard, there's lots of variety. Mm-hmm. Like, you have your luchador match, you have your... I thought the double dog collar match was fun. Mm-hmm. Using, the, said, using the shark and the tables and using, the beach set. Like, using two teams that I typically roll my eyes at or can't wait until they're off my screen. I sat there and I even had a moment while I was watching it of... Am I just really high, or am I really enjoying this match? Because I was sitting there watching it, not bitching and complaining. The main event is not the only thing worth watching on the show. Huh. It, like you said, it's a very fun show, very easy watch. It it flows completely. It definitely flows. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, there's some shows you watch and you're like, yeah, there's two great matches on here. Watch these matches. This show, there's a sock on a pole match for Christ's sake. But even the sock on a pole match isn't as bad as it should have been honestly yeah, i mean jimmy hart shuffling up there kind of fun this was the first time that i can remember wcw wcw actually delivering on something because all their storylines in the past it was you know the white castle of fear it was the spin the wheel and make a deal and you end up with a stupid ass coal miners glove on a pole match you it was the Hogan coming back and them trying to and them doing like a half-ass, shitty version of the Mega Powers and never committing to it or pulling it off or mm-hmm. you like they 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 did it in the past they knew they, how to do it right they didn't they may have they made gone it, it sunk overboard with the who's the third man who's the third man who's the third man but nah. it was because they were giving you a payoff that nobody would have yeah. ever expected up until that point. Yeah. So, with a, yeah, with, a, with that payoff. Hats off to WCW yeah. for actually coming through with something and not making it just a shit finish like we've come I mean, we've come to, to know through WCW over the last few years. In this moment, Hulk Hogan saved wrestling. Love him or hate him. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> just being a little bit of a shithead. But it's kind of true. Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? Alright, fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? I mean, I've never been a, a champion for him, but Hogan's promo at the end there was... One of his one best of the promos? Most, yeah, one of the best I can remember of him yeah. doing, and the most 
passionate performances yeah. I've seen out of him in all of his time in wrestling and all of his TV shows and especially, all of his movies. Especially in WCW. Yes. This is his best promo since he's been in WCW. And he's also Easily. like, it, the, this is the most stale Hogan's fucking ever been. And he comes out and he blames the fans and also tells them that none of them would be here. None of them would be even fucking watching wrestling or like wrestling if it wasn't for mm-hmm. him, which is... True for True. the most part, and then it's just and like, then and then just like and here's what you get for fucking for not appreciating me. Instant fresh, yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be any fresher. No, the table that demanded to be acknowledged. Right, <laughs> a table. I I felt so bad for the guys. Yeah, <laughs> the table just would not break. Ray and psychosis. Yeah, starting off the show right. It's a great start. I'm gonna give. This is probably the only time I'm gonna give. We're gonna be able to give Disco Inferno his flowers. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You told me that because I was like, I don't know. I just assumed he was trash. But I was like, he's in there with Dean Malenko, but that's a good match. I mean, if he that's one of the he, better if he has another good match, we will call him color me surprised. Yeah, it's kind of like Johnny B. Bad. Everybody always shits on him like today, but you go back and you watch it, and like he's super important to WCW, and like starts to get pretty like he does solid work, and people are into him, and he has solid matches. Like, on every show, like, yeah. consecutively. How long did Honky Tonk Man last? Not yeah. as long as Johnny B. Bad. There's a reason that they wanted Johnny B. Bad. I mean, they they wanted Mark Marrow in WWF. Honky Tonk Man. And that's because of what he was doing. The character yeah. lasted for decades, but as far as relevancy goes, no. He, he was about a year and a half, or however long his Intercontinental Championship reign was. He can't do that sunset off the top. No. Pole vaulting competition. Mm. <laughs> Horny Gene. Yeah. I mean, we make fun of him, but he's such a lovable old man that it just makes it fun. I mean, Mean Gene's the best. There's nothing better than, like, compilation clips of Mean Gene outtakes on the on YouTube. They're so good. They're so yeah. fun. You can send those to somebody that doesn't even know or care about wrestling at all, and uh, they will thank you. Then they also know who Mean Gene is. Everybody knows who Mean Gene is. Yes. And everybody will... Yeah, that's a it's a good way to spend six minutes. I mean, there's there's lots of lots of good moments on the show. Rick gave a lot to Conan, and that was a fun match. I like K K Dog's been fun lately. He's a big old boy, <laughs> he's a big boy, and he can move. He looks serious as hell. He yeah, he's got like stone cold face. You know what I mean? Where like everything, yeah, is serious as shit. How about most disappointing? Gomez and Mongo. I would say that mine, mine's very similar, but it's that Gomez is a nobody that nobody knows, and he still has better punches than a lot of guys working today. <laughs> so maybe they were just real punches. I don't know, but uh, that's the only that's the flowers he'll get from me. I mean, I feel like Gomez was probably at the power plant training with Mongo, and so they were like, okay, we'll put him in there yeah. with someone that he's, he's that he's with trained you. with and comfortable with. <laughs> But for his first solo match, which, I mean, it may not be his first solo match, but... His first pay-per-view match. Pay-per-view solo match. Put him in there with someone that can help lead the match. Yeah. Like, yeah, Mongo can. It makes him, like... Poor Mongo. He peaked with Gomez. <laughs> and vice versa. Plus the fact that Mongo's dealing with someone that's hanging out with the Renegade tells you how low everyone thinks of <laughs> Mongo already. Yeah. Oh, poor Renegade. Can't even get camera but, time anymore. You know, we did say that the the Mongo angle on the last pay-per-view 
was great. It's just a shame that it was Mongo. And but I also the said, but I also said Kevin Green was the better of the two of them. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Green didn't, wasn't didn't already have a contract. He was just he wasn't still a football home. player. Yeah, he would probably be the fourth horseman. Yeah, he's a cooler looking dude too. He's got a better look. The video package that they did for yes. the the third man deal, video package was it was just lackluster. Yeah, I mean they're about to they're about to have a reason to put some more money and time into these things so we'll see how they how they go but i mean they're yeah, there they, this is a brand new world there's no production value in it whatsoever it was just and a couple of still shots that are blended together yeah for, the fake newspaper gimmicks are very funny yeah. and trite it's like the the like slideshow with like the, the worst 80s. music possible yeah let's do a fucking narrator guys. that works in um that works in in like bad period piece movies that works in the newsies like, you, they could have just taken that same thing and put like two words from each segment that each photo represented. You know, hey yo, billionaire Ted, third guy, yeah. third man, yeah, something. But yeah, just the the silent slideshow or the the wordless slideshow with cheesy elevator music didn't do it for me. So one of the more disappointing moments for me is, and I didn't mention it because I didn't really know how to put it into the into the notes but when Hogan is walking out Heenan actually says but whose side is he on yep I had that in my notes too I didn't get it in but yeah he yells it out he he, uh, he asks the question but it's something that Bobby Heenan would always do anyway but it was kind of like like if you don't say that line I think it hits I mean it hits hard don't get me yeah, wrong but I think Bobby says that stuff all the time anyway so it might just be hindsight, but I do know what you but, mean. But, to, e- but, to, but even to put that like just that doubt in your head, doubt in your head until like, it happens, yeah, yeah, he could have could have held back, yeah. But I mean, that's also just built into Bobby's DNA because he would do that in 99 percent of the time. There wouldn't be a turn because oh, yeah. he does it to everybody. But at the same, but yeah, like, but it does happen this time. <laughs> yeah. How about best performer of the night? No, that's tough. A bunch of good performances. I was giving it up to... I mean, Macho knows how important this angle is, and Macho is always a great guy to have on the apron during a tag team match. But he's doing the Lord's work out there, making this... Making, like, milking this for everything. Because, like, before Hogan ever comes out, the crowd is fucking batshit. I'm torn between... It's like a three-way tie for me. You know, I, I never praise him, but Hogan's promo at the end was very the, compelling to me. This is the first time he did the best thing for the business, probably. Not um, the first, but you know what I mean. The table. <laughs> and then uh, Shivani, just because of his... The last match. Yeah, his... Vitriol for yeah, the outsiders. That and just the way he ended the show. You know, everybody was speechless and in a somber mood, and Tony just spit out a few words and... Sent us on our way, which he was said what we were. He, he said what we were all thinking. Yes. Yeah, like I said, it's the best Tony performance I've ever heard, and uh, and it's basically just the, you know, the very last match of the show. Outside of that, he's basically Tony. I say my wrestling best performer is Malenko. Oh yeah, because he takes Inferno to a good match. I'm gonna say it again. Possibly the best Inferno match that you're probably ever going to see. Yep. But I think. Because of the ramifications of the moment, I think it is Hogan. I mean, he could have done that and then 
shit the bed on the promo. He didn't shit the bed on the promo. He yep. did the yeah. If he shits the bed on the promo, he did the best. Like it does. It yeah. doesn't yeah. hit. The it best doesn't hit as hard as it. His, his fumbling to. over the the name of it at the end. No big deal. Doesn't bother even noticeable. No one's ever heard it before. This is the first time it was said. That was yeah. the second time it was like, said. Like literally, they could have. They could have. They could have come out the next night and said it was New World Organization instead of New World Order. I mean, New World Order sounds better. Don't get me wrong, but. But yeah, I mean, it's, essentially, it means the same thing. But the um, it's the most believable Hogan because even the prayers and vitamins and all that stuff, it's like more over the top, and he's still over the top. He's Hogan. He's got the big voice. He says brother all the time. But like, it, there's some like real world truth in some of this promo that makes complete sense. His oh, yeah. turn makes com- the psychology is completely understandable. And yeah, I mean, yeah, give it to him. Best leg drop we ever had. Whether it looked good or not, I don't remember. Hey, but he did that like three fucking pop. Yeah. That's another thing. He he did three leg drops without even hulking up first. So give the man his flowers. How nice was it to not see him hulk <laughs> up? And most surprising. I mean, that was definitely Hogan. Yeah. I didn't expect the promo to be that good. I've seen like the leg drop clip or whatever. See, I haven't watched the promo in forever, so I forgot how good it was. I mean, the Hogan turn, obviously, surprising then. Not anywhere near surprising now. But the fact that I think I'm most surprised that I gave Hogan a compliment for his contribution to the show. I mean, we have not shat on Hogan at all on uh-huh. the show. But like, oh, yeah. well, no, wait. I kind of made fun of him with the... I'm. I was more making fun of Mean Gene when he heard the voices in the head and was like, did he say brother a lot? Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. But the, this, I'd never seen this match before. It is a masterstroke of American wrestling. Mm -hmm. Like, completely, yeah, just like done so perfectly. The biggest flaw, I think, in that match is that the Lex bump didn't look stretcher worthy, but hey, doesn't matter. But like, after he's gone, you don't even, like, you might think he's the third man or whatever, but, like, out of sight, out of mind, because it's, the angle's over so hot already, and then, you know, somebody comes to save wrestling, but not necessarily save, you know, WCW. the WCW. <laughs> Making their way to the ring! It's trivia time! Uh-oh. So this week... The category is The Champ is Here. The Champ is Here! The Champ is Here! Charlie Norris. Uh, R.I.P. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did just die. Rest <laughs> in peace, Charlie Norris. So, five points for a correct answer. Three points if we go to multiple choice. I will give you a show and the champion. You give me who the champion was. At the end of that show. Okay? Alright. Cat. So the show is Clash of the Champions 27. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and the title is the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship. 27, you say. And? Shane? Damn it. Go ahead. I'm just going for flair because i can't remember that is correct uh, i was gonna ring in i was gonna go sting or flair i was trying to remember if he had lost it to anybody while he had had it but flair had defeated sting on that show to unify 
the, titles, the two right? yeah. the two heavyweight titles. Damn. And then he would go on to twenty eight, like we mentioned last week, and to place Hogan. Next week, WCW Monday Night Nitro from July eighth, nineteen ninety six. This is the show after the inauguration, the morning after the New World Order. That's right. Music for this week's show is "Crazed" by Nonstop Producer Series, and it was the production <laughs> music that they played at the beginning of the show, and it was the music that the Outsiders used as their music. Oh, okay. But they we for have a at this moment, <laughs> but they were standing tall. Okay. How long till we get Voodoo Child? I'm sure it's pretty soon. <laughs> Maybe next week. Who knows? If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes, drink ideas, thoughts, queries, if, if what did you think of this show? Did you have a totally different take? Is there any other third man rumors that I didn't mention? Probably yes. a million. What was your favorite match on the show? Crush. Oh. Good God. That would suck. That's a tough one. <laughs> You'd be like, who? What? Yeah. Everybody yeah. would just walk. Everybody would just leave. He'll have his moment. I don't think he was even cool enough to get the NWO. So. He was. Was he? Okay. Well, that's, that says a lot about the NWO in the days. I'm pretty sure Brian Adams was in the NWO. <laughs> I'm like, if you say someone was in the NWO, you pretty much have a 50-50 chance. Yeah. It's so crazy. Or, that, like, maybe even more like 80-20. You have something like, that, Literally, that's other than DDP... I don't. I think everybody at some point was in the NWO. Yeah, except for State. Huh? He joined the Wolfpack. Oh the Wolfpack. shit! Yeah, fuck. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, red makeup. Same should have been the guy. Never. I mean, I guess technically Arn didn't do that because he gets hurt and doesn't yeah. wrestle anymore. Damn. So if you have any of those things, you can email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling h i s t o. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. I'm Tony Shane Avani. Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. You can go straight to hell. We're out of here. Laters.